Hello, and welcome to the Mordinary Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Meredith. And we are the Moors. We are ordinary people who have experienced more than ordinary circumstances. Settle in as we discuss ordinary life and its extraordinary potential. So welcome to this episode of the Mordinary Podcast. If you're just tuning in, you are coming into a series we're doing on the five stages of grief. So we encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episode. That was the first of that series where we're going through the stages of grief, the Elizabeth Kugler-Ross's five stages of grief. And in these stages of grief, she breaks down the stages that you go through after experiencing some sort of a trauma. Originally, she designed it for the stages of grief after a death, but we've later learned this can be applied to most, if not all, traumatic events. So this list starts with denial, goes to anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. So today we are going into the topic of anger and how it related to our trauma. Anger is a funny one because it can really trip you up and this stage can sometimes last a long time and it's easy to get stuck there and the anger is something that's easy to suppress and hide and just come out sideways for a long time and be really destructive. So we're going to talk about the anger we experienced after my accident. And a lot of it, and I think this is pretty consistent with most traumatic events, a lot of it had to do with the fact that we had a course we were on in our life. All of a sudden, this traumatic event happened, threw us to a different course, and we didn't like that course. Yeah. It was not what we asked for. We didn't have, we we didn't like that changed in our our life. Well, and I think... The denial that we just talked about is the what just happened. Mm -hmm. I think the anger stage is why did this just happen? Yeah. And I think the denial phase ends when you can no longer deny it. Mm -hmm. I can no longer deny that this is my new truth, that this is my new normal. And now I'm pissed about it. Yeah. Now I'm just pissed that this is my new reality. I don't like it. I don't want it. What hurts? Yeah, and it's sometimes hard to know where to direct that anger. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that anger ends up getting directed in places it doesn't belong. Well, hurt people hurt people. Right. Unfortunately. Yep. And anger can breed that in you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So immediately after the accident, there were a few big triggers for me Mm -hmm. that triggered my anger. A lot of them were going out into restaurants and going places and... Uh, there being steps and finding places weren't acceptable and getting thrown into this world that's not all accessible. That brings up anger. But then also knowing that before the accident, I was the first to get called sometimes by people that needed help. If they needed post holes dug for a fence or they needed bathroom or kitchen demoed, I'd be there with a sledge ready to go and I would be one of the first called. And then after the accident, that phone didn't ring anymore. And by no fault of the, those people, by no fault of the people not calling, I, I it makes sense. I didn't have the physical ability that I used to have. So it makes sense that people wouldn't call me right away when they needed me for things. And, you know, that was, that was tough because I wasn't physically the person I used to be. Yeah. And that was hard for me because when, before the accident, I married this guy who was, like, he loved that. Like, that brought so much joy, but also, like, you found identity in that a little bit, and it brought, like, this fire underneath you. Like, you 
loved being that to people. You loved being a firefighter. Like that was who you were built to be based on your personality. And then you loved getting to help people fix things, lift things, do all those things. And then when the accident happened, that kind of got taken away from you and not, not fully, but in a big part of it for you. Mm-hmm. And that was hard to watch as a spouse watch you struggle with that yeah because that happy-go-lucky guy that I had married wasn't so happy-go-lucky anymore yeah because those things got taken from you got stripped from you mm-hmm. now you are an amazing adaptable person which I love and that's who I married I didn't marry the guy who can lift and fix things that was just an extra perk and you still can lift and fix things it just looks different than it did before mm-hmm but as a spouse watching you struggle with that, that hurt big time. And that's where my whys came in of getting angry. Like, why is this happening to my husband? Yeah. Why did this get taken away from him? Why does he have to be in a chair now for the rest of his life? Why is he not getting healed? Why can't they fix him? All of those whys came out. And whenever there's a why that doesn't have a real true answer, you get mad. Mm-hmm. Why do I have to watch him fall out of his chair? Why do I have to watch him try to figure out how to get into buildings that are not ADA compliant? Now, why do we know all about ADA compliance mm-hmm. rules now? I remember also, like Johnny had said, like now when we go into places, we're getting stared at. Yeah. We didn't have that before. With that can come anger, like people, you know, like saying things, doing things that we're not comfortable with or not ready to hear or not ready to combat maybe a silly comment that maybe people make because they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so that's taken a lot of growth for us in adapting to some of those things because originally it, it hurt big time and it also made us angry. Yeah. We would even have times where Johnny would give a good comment back but was it the nicest thing to say maybe not maybe not um but you're just hurting you're hurting and so things can come out like you said sideways and you're not meaning to because you're hurting yeah i know i know for me i specifically remember times when i'd be going to a door i was going to reach out to grab the door and i as a 25 year old male now having an elderly woman hold the door for me made me mad mm-hmm. and then I'd feel bad that I feel mad yeah. this person's helping me they're offering to help me right now you should not be mad but I am I should be holding the door for her which I could have but and that just was one of the triggers for me that was one of those triggers and then another trigger was like when I'm in the office and I hear tones drop tones drop for calls that I would have been on so I'm working back at headquarters at this point and I'm working in an administrative arm of the department and administrative offices of the department. And I'm hearing these tones drop and I'm hearing my crew going on calls and going on good calls that I wish I could have been on. I I remember the very first day I was back on which what would have been my shift day. And I heard the very first tone drop for the call from my crew. And it, it was like Mike Tyson punched me right in the face. I get hurt so bad. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't, I don't know if I can keep coming back to this office and hearing this happen over and over again. 
keep taking those hits. Yeah. Like yeah. it, I, it just set me just fuming and, uh, it was just, it was, it was tough. It was a tough trigger for me to learn how to adapt to mm-hmm. and learn how to uh, process that. That was a tough one. Yeah. Another tough one for me was we weren't able to hold hands and walk next to each other anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that was really hard for me because I really enjoyed that and felt connected. And now we just had to walk side by side. I mean, luckily we still are able to walk. Like I'm able to walk, you're able to roll, but mm-hmm. able to be side by side and thank goodness. But that hurt. Yeah. Because he needs his hands to move. So there's no hand holding. Another was having to say we no to things that we normally would have said yes to or no because we we can't. We physically can't go do that. Right. That was hard. That was really hard. Like we had to say no to some beach vacations and we used to both really like to be on the beach, but it's very hard for him with a chair. And we had to say no to that. And that can make you really mad too. Like that stinks. Mm-hmm. Um but we've been able to obviously overcome that now. We find other ways to have fun and go on trips, but that was hard. Yeah. Because it's another it just brings you back to the trauma each time. And the course and the course you are to the trauma, the more firsts you have. So right. it's the first time or it's one of the first times that you had to pass up on something that you didn't want to pass up on. Or one of the first times when you get one of those triggers. And those triggers catch a broadside. You didn't know it was happening. Right. And then Fortunately, over time, you learn skills and you're able to prepare for those triggers and learn to see them before they hit you and learn to prepare yourself for them and learn, you know, tricks to to process those. But man, that anger can really erode out from under you. The other thing that you said that I think is important to say is you didn't want to say you're angry. Right. I didn't want to say I was angry because we're told, don't be angry. Don't, when you're growing up, you're told, don't be mad, don't get angry. Yeah. And so when something like this happens, you think, oh, I can't be angry about it. It is what it is. And it's like, no, you need to be. And our culture has put a stigma on anger. Anger is a bad emotion. And I like how frustrated has has taken the place of anger. Well, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. No, you're angry. Right. Now own it. And you're probably looking at me right now saying, huh, I hear you say that a lot because <laughs> I say that a lot. I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. No, you're angry. Yeah. Uh, if you don't own it, you just suppress it and then you don't deal with it and don't channel it in the right direction. Yeah. And, and I think in trauma and in pain and in loss, you want to do that. You want to say, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm <laughs> Actually, the more yeah. you do that, the more angry you get. Yeah. Which is, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You have to to say you're angry. You have to face the anger and actually see it as a thing to be mad at. I am mad that I am mad. Yep. And that in that, it actually starts putting out that fire Mm -hmm. of anger in you and kind of pats it down. Each time you're able to say, I'm really mad about that. And I think we saw that it took us a while. Like it took us maybe, we were trying to think maybe about five years into the trauma of really realizing, I know what this is. Mm-hmm. this is anger. I didn't know it was until now. And then when we would say it was that, it really did. It took it down. The power went down inside of us. Yeah, and we literally sat there and we looked, and it was like a metaphorical, we looked back into our lives thinking, wow, we were really angry. Oh, yeah. And and a lot of times, you don't even know you're out of the angry phase 
anger phase until you're able to look back and see, oh, that was the anger phase. Because mm-hmm. in the moment, you're just angry. And it's just this... Well, you see, you're like tunnel vision into the trigger that's just making you angry. You're mm-hmm. like, well, this is... What is that? <laughs> like, yeah. That sucks. I don't like that. I don't want to feel that. And then you just get mad about it. And if you're able to say, I am so mad about that, like physically, if you actually go do that, like if you're struggling with it right now and you're like, you're right, I'm mad about that. Go Mm -hmm. tell somebody you're mad about it. Feel that weight lifted off of you. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And anger breeds and grows in the dark. Mm -hmm. And when we uncover it and shine light on it, it shrinks. And the more you suppress, keep it in the dark and don't acknowledge it, the bigger it grows and the bigger it grows and the bigger it grows and eventually it just becomes you and you don't want anger to become you you don't want that to be your your primary emotion yeah you know i I think i think of the analogy i don't know if you remember anybody remembers ghostbusters too but the secret of the ooze when underneath the city of new york there was this tunnel the old uh, some subways a tunnel system with just this ooze and no one even knew it was there and it was giving this anger out to the whole city and eventually the ghostbusters all you know they probably crossed the streams and they got rid of it and you know took care of it but i, I feel like that's kind of how anger is it, it runs below the surface and it can be incredibly destructive you know it's kind of like water where given boundaries and pointed in the right direction anger can be incredibly powerful and be productive. It's it's a valuable emotion. It has purpose. But when it leaves the boundaries and leaves the banks, it can be incredibly destructive. It can destroy relationships, destroy Absolutely. careers. It can destroy you. And it's, it's just, it's sad to see where anger has eroded someone's life and brought them down to such a low level where they're just angry all the time. So I think that's a good place for us to kind of transition here. What this is going to be, this is going to be a, a kind of a, a two parts to this episode. Th- that part was basically about the anger phase and about us and how it looked like in our story. We're going to transition here. We're going to bring somebody into the Ordinary Studio, and she's going to share with us her story. One of our really good friends. One of our really good friends. Her name is Kendra Lupton, and she is going to share her story. So we're going to transition here, and we'll bring her into the studio. Okay, welcome back to the studio. We have Kendra in the studio with us today, and we are going to speak to her about anger. We're going we're gonna to dive in here real quick and talk about your trauma. First of all, thank you very much for just your willingness to be on this podcast, yeah. share what, what it really is a traumatic story and really has the potential of bringing up a lot of memories for you. And we really appreciate your willingness to be transparent there. So we're going to um, hand it over to Meredith and let her kind of get started here. Yes, we're super excited Kendra's here. I first thought I'd also tell you how we met. And we met um, going to our church together, and we attended um, a mom's group. And we were placed at the same table, which was really fun because we connected right away um, because some of the questions were about trauma or something hard in your life that you had to overcome. And so that kind of brought us close together at that time, would you say? Yes. <clears throat> and our kids were are in similar age, mm-hmm. and so we then started doing playdates together, and then in that, we would talk and get close. Would you agree? Yes, we definitely <laughs> bonded. Yeah, and so I think we started having these conversations about trauma, 
And it became very um, easy conversations over really hard topics, but we both understood each other in that. And I think that brought us close together and why you're here today with us. Absolutely. So with that said, this awesome friend that's sitting right next to us, will you be willing to share your significant trauma that happened actually when you were a little girl and share with our listeners what happened? Yes, absolutely. So my story started when I was about four and a half. Uh, My mom and my sister, who was almost seven, went to visit my grandma in Kentucky. And it was um, evening time, and they were going to go for a walk. And asked if I wanted to go. And it's a long walk because my grandma lives in the country. So, like, a walk around the block would be a mile. So I said no. I stayed back with my older cousin. And, um... I remember sitting outside waiting for them to come back and I saw them and my sister Kelly um, started to cross the street and a car came kind of out of nowhere and hit her and that's kind of all I remember from that. Um, I was told later that I went out there with my security blanket that I always had with me and gave that to her to stop the bleeding and... They tried to wash that afterwards, but it was never the same. I threw it away that night. They rushed her to the hospital via ambulance, then care flight, and called my dad, who was in Japan working at the time, and he flew on the first flight back. Um, She had a significant brain injury, and she was not going to make it. So they, um, you know, ended up having to pull the plug. And, you know, basically... They kind of told me, but as a four and a half year old, I didn't really understood what that meant and that she was never coming back. I just remember, you know, just the extreme sadness and it was very uncomfortable for me. I felt like I had to put a smile on my face and act like every, I was okay because I didn't want anybody to just worry about me. They were dealing with you know, this, and I tried to stay out of the way. Fast forward probably a year, my parents ended up getting divorced. My dad moved to California, got remarried. And so my life just kind of broke apart from what I knew it. My mom obviously was heartbroken. And it was hard for her to do all the normal things a mom would do. And, and again, I just, tried to put a smile on my face and not be a problem for anybody. And I just kind of stuffed that down. I didn't know what I was supposed to feel or say or do. So, you know, life continued. Uh, My grandparents were very instrumental in my life at this time and um, helped out a lot. You know, I, I grew up and I was a good kid and had great friends around me, but I just always felt so different and really shameful about what had happened to me to the point where people would ask if I had any brothers or sisters. I just answered no. It was just easier to be an only child to like go into that story. As I got older, I started just feeling anger, just mad. And I mean, a lot of things would happen. I was pretty much a victim always. And I didn't know how to handle that. That just kind of led me on a path of 
destruction for my own self, really just pushing relationships away. If anybody hurt me, I was just like, sorry, I can't handle this. This is, you know, I just really pushed everyone away. was just very angry. You know, I was very blessed to have met my husband, who is probably the most patient, loving man I know. And he really kind of made me start to want to change that in me. And, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good. And then we had two beautiful daughters and the anger just was still there. And majority of my anger was directed at my mom. I think I had a lot of expectations on her to be a mom that I saw. And that just wasn't our story. So as I became a mom, a lot of these anger feelings really started coming up. And it was really hard to, for me to be in a room with her, honestly. One day she had said to me, it's like you hate me. And I remember feeling like, ouch, like, wow, that sounds terrible. I'm trying to be this loving person. And when she said that, it was kind of a gut check. And I felt like, wow, I kind of do feel that way. That sounds so gross. <laughs> and I did not like that feeling. And that was when I really kind of saw the anger for what it was doing to my soul. It was this weed that was just taking over my soul in every aspect of my life. I It was impeding my ability to love the people that I love most in my life, it was just taking over. It was out of control. I mean, I've talked to people about my anger towards my mom and they would say something about like, do you think you need counseling? And like, no, I don't need counseling. Like she needs the counseling. Everyone else needs the help. Not me. I am good. (laughs) Which obviously I wasn't, but it was hard for me to see that at the time. But it did plant a seed in my mind and when your mom said that to you yeah that was the seed yeah so I didn't like that about me I wanted to change it I didn't know how to change that I thought that just you know saying like okay I I'm moving on past this I'm gonna but I couldn't I could not move on past the hurt it was it felt like such an ugly disgraceful thing to be it made me feel like a really bad person. Um, sure. I thought that because at this time it had been, you know, like 27 years since I lost my sister. I thought I have grieved that. I thought that was over. I also didn't realize I had to grieve other things like the loss of my parents' relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, both my parents had forever changed. They were no longer you know, who they were before this trauma, because they too were grieving. So I didn't really understand that that had to be done. And I thought that I was just to the point of acceptance. And this was really before I knew the five stages of grief too. So I thought, no, I'm, I'm good. (laughs) It's funny to think about that now. I was not good. (laughs) Well, I think people, we grow up, especially in America, in, in a lot of other countries that you have to grin and bear you have to take what is given to you mm-hmm. and it and it's looked at as a weakness to say you're angry mm-hmm. but just like being vulnerable people see as a weakness it mm-hmm. actually is a strength absolutely and i think if you're willing to say i'm mad at this it actually 
is such a strength because you're willing to say what reality is and what's really going on. And I think society kind of hurts us in that of, of making us feel like we can't say we're mad. Mm-hmm. But we have to be mad to move through the rest of the stages mm-hmm. after we've learned what those are. Would yeah. you, yeah, would you agree I would totally agree. It's kind of amazing to look back at as a four and a half year old. That was my knee-jerk reaction was to stuff it down, put a smile on my face. No one had told me to do that. Um, I don't know if I saw that being modeled to me, but being vulnerable is not something we do naturally. It's a skill set. It's something that you learn as you live life and experience life and seeing what being vulnerable does for your heart and your soul and your relationships. Um, It's truly a beautiful thing, but it's not something that is natural to us. So real quick, where did you start the healing process? So you had the interaction with your mom Mm -hmm. and you identified there's a problem here. Mm -hmm. What steps did you take and where did you kind of go for that healing to help you through this process? Yeah. So I had started hearing people say things about counseling here and there. And my husband and I talked about it. I was like, yeah, maybe I should do that. And then I heard it at church that they offered counseling. I'm like, okay, I'm hearing it so many places. All right. Kind of like wave that white flag of surrender. Okay. I, I'm not doing a good job on my own here. I need help and dealing with this. And, and that shouldn't be a shameful thing, but it was very hard to accept that I couldn't heal myself. So I, I called our church and their counseling department. And that was the hardest thing I'd ever have to do. Oh my goodness. I was shaking so bad. And, you know, they asked what I needed counseling for. And it was, I felt so weak in that that I needed help because like I had so much hate and anger in my heart. But through that, I I was hooked up with an amazing counselor. This was five years ago. And I I still, we still meet on a monthly basis. But the first few months we met weekly and it sounds so cliche, but it saved my life. And in preparing for this, I went back to my old journals and kind of looked back on what I was feeling and, and man, how exhausting was it to be that angry to hang that on my shoulders every day everywhere I went that was there with me and I can still know those feelings and remember them but I don't carry them around anymore it's not there I I can look at it and read the story and remember the story but it's it's not my day-to-day anymore and It has tremendously helped all my relationships, I think, and just being able to say, I can't do this on my own. I need some help and doing the work that it takes to heal. It's the best work that I've ever done in my life. Yeah, I'm guessing your only regret was not doing it sooner. Yeah. You would never regret going to the counselor. Absolutely not. I I do wish I did it sooner, but I also know that I wasn't ready and... Mm -hmm. You know, I can look back and and have regrets, but at the same time, the counselor that I was hooked up with, I know was there at that time. That was just a meant to be kind of thing. We clicked immediately. You know, there's a lot of counselors out there and sometimes you might not 
click with one. I can say that that was a meant to be. It was the time. That was my time to get help. You have to be ready. Um, We were reading an article before we started this one that talked about anger. And what they said was anger can just be like suppressed in you. But when you're able to really actually think of it as a thing to be mad at, it then, you know, just kind of takes that off. Did you feel that each time you went to the counselor and shared your feelings or your triggers that would send things off? Like you, you even talked to me about a trigger that you didn't even realize was linked back to your sister. Do you want to share about that? Yeah. So I, it's just a, it's weird, but whenever someone would vomit, I would have a panic attack. It just, oh my gosh, fight or flight. Like I would just run like as far away as it just panicked me. I had to get away from that. And I didn't understand why that was such a thing. And and it got worse. And everyone would say, well, once it's your own kids, you'll be fine. But when my daughter had the stomach flu and I locked myself in my closet crying and I couldn't take care of her. That was like, wow, what is happening? Why can't I be around this? And and I did, through counseling, find out that that suppressed what I had seen when I handed the blanket to my sister. She had a head trauma. So that's, you vomit sometimes from that. And I think, and I still can't remember, but I'm thinking that was the link that caused me these panic attacks when that would happen. Yeah, I think that's so good that you're able to get that out as talking to your counselor because we can we can have these triggers like John and I would even have them and it would set us off and we didn't really realize what was going on mm-hmm. until we went to counseling and were able to talk it out and put that label of, okay, this is what that goes to. Mm-hmm. And so that's awesome. I feel like that's what counseling does a lot though. It kind of helps us connect the dots. Right. And what looks like just a sheet of dots all of a sudden starts to become, make like a picture mm-hmm. and starts to just like start to make sense. Mm-hmm. Like you just see these kind of these random objects in your life and these random things in your life. And they really helped you kind of connect the dots and just kind of get the better image of what exactly is going on and how these things connect together. Yeah. And help you get a better picture of yourself. That's, that's really good to hear. So we have a question for you. Yes. If you could say something to your mother or father soon after your sister's death, what would you tell them? It's a tough one. That is a that is a tough one, especially since I was so young. But I I think I you know would just obviously say I love you. I'm so sorry this happened. Um, but can we talk about it? Mm-hmm. I wish that the lines of communication would have been open right away. I think that would have helped. We all went through a trauma together, and we don't have to do it alone. And I think that's hard for parents. I can't imagine your mom's. I, being in her shoes worse. and you don't want to go on no That's no and I and stuck. I bet you you've gotten to the point and you through our conversation you you have talked about how you be how you've been able to understand your mom more now that mm-hmm. you've been a mom and in the impact that that could have had on her and understanding where she was at at that time yeah I, I think it it took me out of being a victim into having some empathy and sympathy for my mom, too. I couldn't see past my own nose, basically, to mm-hmm. see anybody else was hurting because I was hurting, and I couldn't see past that. So that allowed me to have that, and, and that has helped our relationship tremendously. Yeah. Well, Ke- Kendra, we really appreciate 
you come in today. Is there, are there any final thoughts or anything that you would like to leave everybody with today? I would say if you're struggling with anything in your life and you can't make sense of it, it's okay to reach out for help and you know, that we haven't been given the skill set to do it on our own. And it's great to talk to friends, but again, they have, they probably aren't licensed therapists either, but it's just, it's so helpful to talk to somebody that can give you the tools to cope with what life has, you know, handed us because no one's been given a life without any kind of hurts or pains. So, well, Kendra, we really appreciate you coming on today. Um, we really appreciate just your friendship and your willingness to be vulnerable today and share this with our audience. We, I think, um, can only imagine that it's been helpful for people to hear. We encourage you to share this episode with people that you feel would benefit from it. Uh, we thank you for tuning in today. We will catch you next time here on the Ordinary Podcast.